0: Turn your Bible to James chapter 4, the 4th chapter of James. And will you keep in mind that this little book is written as men look upon us. Almost everything Paul wrote, there are some exceptions to that, but almost everything Paul wrote, especially in regard to the plan of salvation, have to do with how God looks at us. James writes as to how men look at us who are believers. It makes a big difference because there are passages in James that have been grossly misunderstood. He said, for example, show me your faith and I'll show you my works that prove my faith. That's not a contradiction. Peter wrote, if you call on the Lord, then pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, lest you not please him. And John said in 1 John 2, 28, My little children, these things write unto you, that ye not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so we need to be careful how God looks at us and how people look at us. All right, in James 4, there are four questions that are maybe, or there are five questions that are of paramount importance and I want to show them to you look in chapter 4 verse 1 from whence come wars and fightings among you number 2 in verse 4 know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God number 3 in verse 12 who art thou that judgest another? Number four, in verse 14, what is your life? Now these four questions, there is a fifth and we'll not mention it in this section tonight. But in these four questions is the heart of James chapter four. And we want to examine that for just a moment or two. He says, first of all, from where come wars wars? and fightings among you. Keep in mind that the name of this chapter is The Perfect Man and Separation, the Bible doctrine of separation. That's so important. We hear a little about it today in most places. And where it is mentioned, and where it uh, involves having standards, people seem to sometimes get their back up about it, they don't like standards, and so on they don't understand the Bible doctrine of separation. Paul said, under the Holy Spirit's impression in Second Corinthians 5, 6, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will accept you or receive you, and I'll be a father to you. He also said, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so there's a, There's there's a recurring doctrine all the way from Genesis to Revelation that deals with separation. In this particular chapter, he's talking about separating ourselves from sin, separating ourselves from the world's way of doing things, separating ourselves from our old Adamic nature that likes to judge people, and separating ourselves from the idea of permanency here. What is your life? It is even a vapor. So let's look at it for just a moment or two. In uh, James 4, beginning with verse 1. From where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hear even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts." What a statement. He says, one of the reasons there's so much fighting in wars, not only nationally and internationally, but even among God's people. And he's writing to God's people here. The reason we get upset with people, the reason we get hurt, the reason we get, uh, have animosity towards somebody else or prejudice towards somebody else, Is because we are not praying right you ask and you ask amiss so that you consume it upon your own lusts now what does lust mean here it does not mean just some kind of physical desire towards somebody else lust here deals with selfishness with self-centeredness with our own pride and he said you ask But the reason you ask, God understands, is so that you can be filled with your own way. So you can get your way about things. Now this is certainly not true of everybody and certainly not true of anybody. I mean, everybody prays sometimes as earnestly and sincerely as we can. But he's writing here to remind us that we war and fight among ourselves because we do not have a humble spirit. We do not yield and say, not my will, but thine be done. Now, it's possible that nationally and internationally, the same thing is done. And sometimes it's a little bit difficult to apply the principles of the Word of God to national situations where the other side is not run by the principles of God. Our president faces that right now, as well as our nation and our servicemen who may be sent to Iraq, and some of them may die in a war that is so unnecessary. And yet, had we, years ago, stopped Hitler, there wouldn't have been nearly as many casualties as there were in World War II. And it may be necessary to stop Hussein and Iraq. And so we need to pray for wisdom on the part of our leaders. And then, as we come to each of us, let's ask God tonight to fill us with a spirit of humility so that we don't really ask just so what we ask will be accomplished. I was at the hospital one night several years ago, and A couple came in. Their little boy had been run over. It was tragic. I stood with them in the prayer room. It was at the old hospital. And they wanted me to pray that that little boy would get well. The doctor had already come in and told us he could not live. And if he lived, he'd just be a vegetable. I prayed the best I could. And then they called a... Like a holiness preacher, Church of God, or something like that, to come in. And he demanded in the name of Jesus that that little boy be well and be all right, and uh, asked for the faith on the part of the family to believe that. Well, here's what happened the little boy lived, he was just a vegetable. The mother and daddy looked over him and looked after him as best they knew how. But at the end of four years, he died and the mother and daddy divorced. It took all they had and they didn't have enough. Sometimes our prayers need to be answered like God wants them rather than the way we want them. And he says, you pray and you pray amiss. All of our prayers need to be prayed with this one petition, Not my will, but thine be done. And when we pray that way, like Jesus did, God answers prayer. And we can rely upon the answer that comes. The second question is in verse 4. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? He begins it by saying, you're adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. What do you think of that? If you're not in a spiritual framework, you may say, well, I don't understand that verse. I thought we were supposed to be friends to the world. Notice carefully the language. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend, what? Of the world, not to the world, a friend of the world. You and I need to be friends to the world. What's the best thing you can do for a friend? Tell them about Jesus. Take a strong stand spiritually. Do your best to try to win them to Christ. And we need to be a friend of the world, uh, to the world. But those that are friends of the world do it the reverse way. We are a jolly good fellow. We're about as good as everybody else, and we buddy-buddy up to the people of the world. We finally are are influenced to do the same things they do. And the scripture says if you're going to be a friend of the world, you're not a friend of God. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to apply that to all of our hearts tonight. That's a hard saying. There's a difference in being a friend to the world and a friend of the world. This world does not count people, friends, who don't do the things they do, live the way they do. They think you're strange. They don't understand you. They don't understand why you're in church tonight on a rainy night like this. They don't understand that. They're out doing other things. But the best thing we can do is tomorrow night meet and in the same kind of rain, take the gospel to people where there's a need. That's a friend to the world. You notice the difference. The big question is, do you not know that he that would be a friend to of the world. That is, the world counts you as a close friend. You're buddy-buddy with them. You're not a friend of God. Now that has to do with the doctrine of Bible separation and this rubs people the wrong way. Most people don't like it at all. We know that we ought not to drink liquor. Most of us know that we ought not to have uh, promiscuous sex or premarital sex. Most of us realize that we ought not to cuss and swear. But how about some other stands? Let the Holy Spirit apply that to your heart. You're in the midst of people that are talking dirty. What do you do? you just stand there and laugh? you just stand there and say, well, that's their business. I won't say anything about it. And just keep quiet. Or do you register a complaint for Jesus' sake? I was in a restaurant some time ago. <clears throat> the people in the next booth were cursing and talking about Jesus, swearing, using his name in vain. <laughs> and I just stood up, stood by them and smiled, had a track in my hand. I said, I-, I see you know him. Well, they said, know who? I said, well, you've been talking about my best friend, Jesus. What? No, I didn't say Jesus. You've been talking about my best friend. And he said, who? I said, his name is Jesus. And I've been sitting here about five or six minutes hearing you talking about him every other breath. What do you know about him? Well, they got very embarrassed. They didn't say anything. They didn't know what to say. I gave them a gospel tract and told them just a minute, just in a minute fashion, that Jesus had saved me and changed my life, and I love him. And I like to hear people talk about him when they talk about him in praise. But when they talk about him in cursing, it bothers my heart because he lives right here and he's hearing everything you're saying. Well they didn't know what to make of, it, but I didn't hear any more cursing. Now, this has to do with Bible separation. The whole world thinks it's okay to drink. I heard a report on the day to, on the radio today that said, even the doctors are saying now, if you drink four or five glasses of wine, you don't have you won't have a heart attack or or stuff like that. <laughs> Beloved, that's the way the world thinks. That the way God speaks. The Bible says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. At the last it biteth like a serpent, stingeth like an adder. You ask anybody in this room whose father or mother or brother or sister was an alcoholic, and they'll tell you that. So, This is the Bible doctrine of separation. The Holy Spirit can apply the other things. I don't believe God wants us to look like the world, walk like the world, talk like the world, smell like the world, or act like the world. Be different. Now you know the world and the flesh and the devil are three big enemies of a Christian. The world system continues to put out rot and trash both on television in movies in magazines what are you going to do about that come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you there's another question in this text look down in verse 12 who art thou well, let me, let me go to verse 5. This is the third question. Do you think that the scripture says in vain? And then he lists nine things that the scripture says. Number one, in verse four, 5, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, that is our own nature. Verse 6, number 2, But he giveth more grace, whereof he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Do you think the scripture says that in vain? Number four, submit yourselves therefore to God. Number five, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number six, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Number seven, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Number eight, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And number ten, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he shall lift you up. Now those are nine or ten statements from the word of God. And he says, do you think the scripture says this in vain? Is it meaningless? Or do we need to govern our lives by what the word of God says? Remember, he's talking to Christians. This is not a plan of salvation. You're not going to get to heaven because you're humble. Those that go to heaven will be humble. You're not going to go to heaven because you... Uh, purify your hearts and so on but notice these, these statements did you not know that the spirit dwelleth in lust and it lusteth to envy we need to know ourselves he giveth more grace when you run into big big problems the bigger the problem the bigger the grace he'll take care of you Did you not know that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble? Do you submit yourselves, therefore, to God? Do you resist the devil and he will flee from you? Do you know that? Do you recognize it? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your minds, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God and he will lift you up. The next question is in verse 12. Who art thou that judgest another? Now look at verse 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Now to judge another means to judge their motives. It doesn't mean to judge their actions. You can't help but seeing actions or hearing actions. If you hear somebody curse, you're not judging. If you say, I wish you would not do that, it's offensive to the Lord. Not just to me, but it's offensive to the Lord. They may not pay any attention to you, but you've taken a stand. You meet somebody that's a Christian, and they've gone to a place of ill repute, You're not judging if you say, I noticed that you went to such and such a place. I'd just like to encourage you to leave that off your schedule because that's offensive to God. We can look at each other's actions. I don't believe we ought to gossip about each other's actions. We can look at them, go directly to the person. Judgment comes in when we judge their motives. When we say... Well, the only reason so-and-so gets up and sings is to be seen of people. Well, the only reason he comes to church is to see who's there. Those are judgments that ought not to be. Brethren, these these things ought not to be. Those are judgings. And Jesus said, don't do that. And then the last problem. The last question is in verse 14. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. We had a funeral today, Ms. Velma Phelps. Very dear Christian. Brother Johnny and I were riding together. And I thought, how very brief is life? If we live to be 85, it's still brief. When you compare 85, to all the millennium, millenniums of the past and the future? Very brief. Everyone in this room has just a limited time to do what God wants you to do. You don't have forever. You don't have even very long. We may be meeting in somebody's honor in a funeral home before this week's over and you're here tonight. We do not know. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. What kind of a vapor are you leaving behind? What kind of footprints are we leaving behind? Are they footprints that lead, us, lead, lead others to heaven? Are they footprints that lead others to a godly separated Christian life? Are they footprints that lead people to church? Are they footprints that lead people to the word of God? What is your life? A vapor that appears for a little while and then is gone. Velma Phelps was a great Christian all of her life since she was 26 years old, she lived for Jesus. She and her husband Elan were a tremendous team. After Elan died, Miss Velma continued every Sunday at Riverside. She taught a little Sunday school class. The Sunday before she had the stroke, she was in Sunday school, had the stroke on Tuesday and never woke up until she got to heaven. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony. I met with her family and just asked them to tell me some things about her. And they told me all these godly things. And, and with tears, they said, we're, we want to follow in her footprints. And at that service today, I think there were three people who professed their faith in Christ. We want to go with God and serve Him. And another man came up after the service and said, he told me his name and he said, pray for me. I need to do what Velma did well what is your life young people what is your life middle-aged people young married people older people what is our life it is here and then vanishes away and we leave a vapor behind us either a sweet smelling vapor that goes before the throne of God or one that militates against God, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God is so precious and true and quick and sharp. Have thine own way in our lives and help us to follow the wonderful will of God in all our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.